0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. So here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you stand and we're going to read uh Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 through 33. Ephesians 5 verse 21 through 33. And we stand out of respect to God's word, and so uh, I'm gonna, we're going to stand in a position of, of listening. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body, which is his Savior, which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present to her, to himself, as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle in any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For all, for after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of His body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with to his wife, and to, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and wives must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I wanted to start by reading that cold, because I know by reading it cold, it will stir up a ton of mess. I don't want to set it up. I don't want to... Clarify it. I just want to read God's word um, because I, I I I've been around long enough to realize you all love Ephesians, and then we get to this text, and we get we become experts on marriage. Right? Uh, what he really meant. Husbands spend hours studying three verses about what wives should be. Wives uh, debate over the meanings of words and conversations take place. And there's constant struggle around a text like this. But I want us to remember that this is a small section of a very big book. And most of what we've been dealing with for months has been dealing with the re- the unification of all things, that God is making one things that have been separated because of sin. Yeah. You see this word one in this, that the two become one. It's another form of this language of oneness right? That, the, that that all heaven and earth was separated, but in Christ it's becoming one. And, and everything that has been separated, God and man has been separated because of sin, but in Christ it's becoming one. And the church has been separated and divided, nations, tribes, uh, rich, poor, young, old, all kinds of divides, walls of hostility have held us apart. And there has been so much in regards to this that we have spent so much time on, and now what Paul is doing is zooming in even closer on relationships. Now, some of us who are Not married, and some of us in this community who would love to be married or maybe are not married yet or been divorced or there's all these kinds of, they're going, man, now this is not a message for me. And I will will say this, just because it's specifically not speaking to your situation doesn't mean that there's nothing you can glean from, learn from, or have a deeper understanding about covenant. This week my wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage, yeah, um, I've been married 20 years, I, I literally never thought I would say that, not, not I just never thought I'd be this old, uh, not because I thought I was going to divorce or something, it's just I never thought I would be this old, and now sitting here 20 years into marriage. And the same day, uh, this week, Dave and Lisa Johnson, Elder Dave, they they celebrated 32 years of marriage. Uh, So that's an anointed day uh, of marriage, that day, the 22nd. There's an anointing on that day. Uh, I, I will say this. Dana is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I don't in any way believe that it is something that I have done or how great I am that I have been able to, been given this gift to be married to Dana. She is the most amazing person I've ever met. She blows me away. And I would say the more I'm married to her, the more I realize this. The more years that go by, the more beautiful she becomes to me. She's amazing. And when I say that, none of you in here hopefully would think that means She's flawless, and she's perfect, and she's never sinned. My wife and I were really bad at dating. I don't think anybody's good at dating. There's some people who think they are, but I don't think anybody is good at dating. I was Really bad at dating, and I had a friend of mine who uh, saw us years later, and he said, "You guys were horrible at dating, but you've been really good at marriage." And I said, uh, "I guess, I guess that's a, if, if I had to pick one, I'm glad that that's the one that we ended up being good at. <laughs> we we were horrible at dating, and when we got engaged, I'm just we were 20 years old uh, when we got engaged, 19 when we got engaged. Um, coming straight out of two years of a Bible institute um, and thinking we could you know we we were just we're gonna get married we had gone through horrible situation in dating and and because of that and I'm not blaming anybody there was a resounding response from everyone don't do it <laughs> right uh, don't get married this you guys are not. Ready? Uh, there's a lot of things going on, and, and this is, and, and then there was the the you know young people who who may be like man you 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 should wait longer or 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 you're not ready or there's things happening and and, and there was there was a lot of that and I, I think people who get married especially nowadays they're 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 used to hearing those kinds of statements that was resounding. But I I, I was at college and and I was walking through a courtyard and there was a professor that I really looked up to, and he said, Aaron, I heard you got engaged, and and immediately I'm going, okay, here comes another one, right? And it's a professor I really looked up to, and he said, it's going to work. And for the first time, I'm like, this sounds different than somebody else. Well, what do you mean? I said, what do you mean it's going to work? How do you know, right? He goes, you understand covenant, and he just walks off. I've, I talked to him years later, actually, just last year. Wayne and I went to Tucson. He's actually pastoring out of there. We were sitting with him, and I told him this story. And, and, uh, and he's like, I don't even remember saying that to you. I'm like, man. <laughs> <laughs> he just walks off. And, 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 and something hit me at that moment where I'm like, if I need to understand covenant, then I need to start doing some work. Because yeah. I don't think I do understand covenant. Yeah. This text is really hard to preach. It's hard to preach not just because I'm a bad preacher and a poor communicator. It's hard to preach because you're bad listeners and, and it's hard to, to get this across. So mix my bad preaching with your bad listening and this is a disaster waiting to happen. It's not just my fault that this is a hard message to preach. It's mostly your fault, right? Right? I've been married 20 years, right? Uh, I think I, I, I might have a place where I, I can start to hear a text like this differently. Um, this reality of relationships that he's wrestling with, when he's talking about the unity of the church, and now he zooms in on marriage and the preaching of the gospel, this reality of this oneness Starts to zoom in. Some people don't think that r- unity in the church is that big of a deal. You'd you'd be surprised how many people said, man, you need to stop talking about unity in the church. It's getting exhausting. People leaving the church, walking out, saying this is too much. There's, we, we need to talk. stop talking about the unity of the church. It's too much. They got exhausted by that short section. But when it comes to marriage, you start to really feel like, hey, can we talk about unity? Because we realize inside of marriage how important oneness is and how important harmony and unity is because you can't just go home after a service and talk bad about those people and just kind of live a separate life. You are in the same space. And this becomes a microcosm, if you will. So there's, there's a tendency in preaching these texts to spend a lot of time making cheap jokes about husbands and wives and laughing about how different we are. And I'm not going to do it. I'm going to just try and give you a couple things to think about. One is kingdom and covenant, I'm going to use the word covenant. Covenant language is different than worldly or contract language. Uh, There are certain things, and I'm not going to run this illustration down. I'll get myself in trouble. But there are certain things certain cultures can say language-wise that other cultures can't say. Like, there's certain things Wayne can say that I can't say because of his culture and context. And if I say it, It's not good because the language is different. It's the same word. It just means something different to him than it does to me. And you only understand that when you understand language differences. When something means, just because you say the word love doesn't mean the Bible means what you mean about love. You're saying the same word. It means something different. Just because you say a word and you go, hold on, that's a cuss word. Not in this language, it's not a cuss word. In your language, it's a cuss word, but not in this language. And you could try to police it and you could try to uh, break it down, but it doesn't mean the same thing. The language in covenant is different than the language in contract. Let, let me try to help you with this. Uh, uh, because we have to see not only is there language differences in the kingdom of God, but there's direction differences. So the direction of the kingdom is different than the direction of the world. Covenant and contract, the direction is different. Let me try to explain that so we can see. This is, if you work in the business world, this is what? What? Org chart, okay? Only two people in this whole church knew what an org chart was, okay? This is an org chart. Now, this is kind of built like, and I want you to look at it, it's built like what we're going to look at in a minute. It's built like a a pyramid. At the top is Aaron. I'm the boss, right? (laughs) Underneath that is Wayne, okay? (laughs) Okay? And then you have all the elders here, Kyle, you know, all the. And then you got all the peons going down here. But at the top, Aaron. (laughs) See that? We're kind of close to the same, but you got to know the order, okay? (laughs) The elders, yes, we're all one, but don't mistake the order, okay? Then you got deacons, and then somewhere, y'all little peoples are down here. Okay? Org charts work in business, and they work in worldly culture, because what it does is an attempt to clean things up and make a mess orderly. And the attempt is, let's give each person a little job description and don't do anything outside of your job description. Only do your little workload, and then everybody in this scheme, this pyramid scheme, tries to work their way up. So here's, if you're at the bottom, your goal is to work your way up. If you're at the top, your goal is to keep people down. Oppress. Don't let them take your job. And in these systems, you're you're fighting against. The top and the bottom are fighting against each other. and, And they're worried about, this person's worried about the day that they'll become the bottom. And this person's dreaming of the day that they'll become the top. And so this is a system built on oppression And it's a system built on fighting for my own rights. This system is the system we live in. So when we talk about the kingdom having a different direction, when we talk about the gospel, everybody thinks this upward mobility. But every time we talk about the gospel, we're talking creation, fall, this way. It's always downward arrows. It's this downward working of the gospel. And Jesus comes in the game. And I'm going to read through this fast because I don't got a lot of time. But he says, and he, this is what Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a child, children are on the bottom. Yeah. And he's saying you got to be like a child. He puts them on the top. You want to be? First, you got to be last. What else is he? Jesus called them together and said, You know that rulers of this world, Lord over them, they have high officials, so they exercise authority. Not so with you. Not so with you. Whoever wants to be great, how many of y'all want to be great? Uh, two of you. In the kingdom, you got to be a servant. You're like, you know where this is going, so you didn't raise your hand. You want to be first, you must be a slave. Just like Jesus. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the mourning. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Okay, it, it flips everything upside down and it turns it into this different thing. And God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. God chooses the weak to shame the strong. God chooses the lowly to, th- to, to despise the things that are. He takes the have-nots and makes them the, 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 the haves, Right? And even after reading all of this, if you all were honest, and I'm not going to ask you to because you will lie, if you all were honest, if I stood up here and go, how many of you want to be the last? How many of you want to be the poor? How many of you want to be the least? How many of you want to be the persecuted? How many of you want to be the, the weak? None of you would volunteer for that. You would still want the power position. You would go after up the ladder to try and go for the dominance. See, it's so disorienting the kingdom of God. It messes with us. And here's the reality of this. When we look at the kingdom of God and we see, okay, well, in this pyramid scheme, it's, it's weak, it's, it's last, it's poor, it's minority, it's the outsider, it's the employee, it's the child, it's the woman, it's the wife, it's all of these kinds of, that are the greatest And what we try to do is flip the triangle and go, well, it's an upside-down kingdom. And here's what I I want us to just think about for a minute. It's it's more than an upside-down kingdom. The kingdom is shaped totally different. It's not an upside-down triangle. It moves from a triangle to a circle the reality is what we try to do, oh, I get it, it's it's opposite. No, it's totally different. And so what ends up happening is when you read covenant language, you start reading your language, you start reading your direction, and you start reading your shape on the text. And it messes with you. Um, I, I, um, I, uh, was surfing as a little kid, I lived by the beach, and, and uh, I, 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 we would go out and get in the ocean. And one of the first times I get out there and I'm on this little, I'm trying to figure this thing out. And I get toppled uh, over in the waves and I start swimming as hard as I like, can. I'm losing my breath. I start swimming as hard as I can up to the surface. And, I, and I'm panicking and I'm swimming as fast as I can and I hit the bottom of the ocean. And I thought I was swimming up, but I thought I was really swimming down. And it wasn't until I hit the bottom that I, I, I pushed back on. I almost lose my breath. I come out of the water and I am so disoriented because I literally got so toppled that I couldn't even tell which way was up and down and I couldn't figure things out. And this is what happens when we move from one kingdom to another. Everything is so different and disorienting that we can't figure way what's up, what's down, what's left, what's Where are we at? How to see things, how to hear things. And the reality of this is when we read something like this, we have to see how disorienting it is to us because of what shape we are. So what I'm I'm asking from us as we approach a text like this is that we would take a minute and read this text the right way. First time we read it, We just read it cold. This time, I want us to read it the right way. When I say the right way, I want us to read it with the right language, in the right direction, in the right shape, and don't impose your perspective. I know that you can't do that. You already have disorienting thoughts in life, but it's hard for us when we're coming into this kingdom to understand, and I want us to go from a triangle to a, a circle. And here's what I mean by in a circle, it's one thing. There's no top, there's no bottom. In a circle, there's, it's all, all one. It's interesting when you talk about marriage, they give you a ring, and they, they say this ring is a, a circle for many reasons. It's for its eternal nature. It's for its covenantal reality. It's to remind us that we are coming into oneness. This is the top right now, but how do you know that's the top? What's the top? The purity of what you see in this circle language is that between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in covenantal language inside of this new kingdom, those who were at the bottom of this are a part of and equal with and in covenant with the other. So I want us to take a minute and just kind of read this together, and, and I'm not going to take a lot of time to preach. This is a two-part, and Wayne next week is going to do a better job at wrestling this thing to the ground. I'm just trying to mess with your perspective, your lenses for a minute, and then Wayne's going to wrestle this to the ground next week. But I want us to think of it. When it says wives here, submit, this in your language could be a cuss word to you. It's cuss. you' stop cussing. OK? It's not because it's a cuss word, it's because in your language, you've made it a dirty word. Just a verse before this, it says, "All of us, as the body of Christ, need to submit one to another. In covenant, submission is beautiful. Wives submit. To who? your own husbands. Can I just be clear on this? Paul is not saying all women submit to all men. (laughs) This is saying you, wives, submit to your own husband. This does not, this does not elevate male dominance over all women. This is very covenantal and he's Focusing in on a wife who is submitting to her husband and she's doing it as to the Lord. And here's, here's where it becomes very, very sacramental. It becomes very, very spiritual. Is there is no husband who deserves this. A wife only does this when she's doing it as worship to Jesus not because someone deserves it. This is an act of worship for a wife, not an act of her worth. This does not determine a wife's worth. It is an act of worship to the Lord. And then it begins to set up this covenant and it connects it to a husband being a Christ-like example as the head of the church. Now, I want you to think of head language connected to what is the whole of the text. A head is connected to a whole body. And a head separated from its body is decapitated. A head's value and a head's worth by itself is not an important piece, right? The whole body, Scripture says, every part of the body is an important part. Can we say amen to that? He's not elevating, he's connecting. And then he says, the only way you're going to see this is if you see how the church, did we just spend a lot of time talking about how the church needs to submit? I'm going to tell you this. When we are grown up in churches where everybody's fighting for position, so our family determines how we do our our marriages. So when we watch husbands and wives in churches where everybody's fighting for position, that's the only kind of pyramid we know how to live in. And what he's saying is if you're raised in a good family or a good church and you've seen this kind of family life or church community where everybody's submitting to each other, you can learn how to submit to one another inside of a marriage. Now I want us to think, just for real quick, when it comes now, it starts with wives, and then it goes to husbands. And if you're reading it in the wrong direction, you will think he's going up the scale. But if you're reading it in a kingdom perspective, he's going down the scale. Right? The servant is the greatest? In this text, where well, husbands are better than wives. That's in your direction, not in kingdom direction. You've reversed. No, husbands are not the greatest. What this does in this culture is take men who thought in their marriages they were elevated roles. And Paul is saying, no, no, it's a new direction in the kingdom and he brings them down the totem pole because there's not supposed to be one. Stop oppressing. Stop pushing down and hoping they don't rise up. Stop living in this pyramid scheme of a marriage and give yourself up. Sanctify, wash, present that she might be without spot or wrinkle. I'm running out of time, church. And in the same way, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And I'm going to camp there for a minute if you're ready for it. This is all I have time for. Wayne's going to do better next week. Hear this as your own bodies. I was getting marriage counseling, and I was, I, if you know me, I, I like to joke around, uh, one of my favorite uh, love languages is sarcasm. It's, I, 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 I love it. it. I think that's a love language. It was, it was mine. Um, I was getting premarital counseling, and you could see why maybe people were like, don't do it, Dana. Um, but I heard that the counselor had this illustration about handing a rock to the guy and say, drop this rock on your foot, and then old guy would do it, and then he would say, see, you wouldn't hurt your own body, so don't hurt your wife, so I heard about this, and put on steel-toed boots, right, and he handed me the rock, and I'm like, no, he's like, do it, and I went, and dropped the rock on my toe, ruined his illustration, right, (laughs) he's like, I've never had anybody do that before, The idea of what he's saying here is when two become one flesh, when two become one flesh, there is no distinction between me and her. I wouldn't hurt myself, I'm gonna nourish and care for, and there's nothing that separates me and her. We are one. See, this is covenantal language. The reality of oneness is there is one God in three persons, and this is a mysterious union is what we have kind of labeled it. This mystery of the Trinity, this mysterious union, and this mysterious union is made up of three parts that refuse to be separated. Saying you can't know one part from the other, and they're constantly serving the other and submitting to each other the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're constantly glorifying the other, and this is the reason why because they don't see themselves as separate, they're one. They're not separate they're one that means this when I talk about my wife and and all I can see is how different she is than me and how nagging she is and how painful it is to constantly have to go through this and that she never submits and she you're talking about yourself she is you and how different could our minds be if we move from this triangle life to seeing that husbands and wives are one thing and in that oneness when we become one flesh they turns to they are me she is a gift she is me. Yes, we are separate. Yes, we are distinct. Yes, there is personality difference. Yes, but we're one. Um, this becomes a huge responsibility when we are doing all we can in this world to separate ourselves from other people. And we have a ton of others. Everybody's another. They, they, we talk about everybody as a they. They do this, we talk about the church as a they. They always do this, the church always does this. They do this, and we don't go, we're not a part of that, we're not a part of that. We never talk about ourselves as if we're a part of something broken. We always talk about ourselves as if we are looking at the nation, the world, our churches, and many of us sit in marriage counseling and talk about how our spouse is the other, and we are so different. And they always do this, and they always and they always do that, and we don't even see it. Our covenant sees it. They are me. Um, this is a mystery and this is profound, but he's actually talking about Christ in the church, he says. That's beautiful. Why did Jesus go to the cross? and take on all of the suffering and pain and agony? Why did he humble himself and die the death we should have died and pay the price we should have paid? Because we are him. We're one flesh with him. And he took it upon himself to take responsibility for the sin and pain and brokenness and died the death we should have died and united us with himself. You see, Adam blamed his wife. Jesus, the second Adam, said, Blame me. And he took on all the suffering and agony and he bore the weight of our sin and pain. Why? Because he did not see us as separate. He has come to make us one with him. We're one flesh. That means all that is Jesus belongs to us and all that is me belongs to him. We're one. I've been uh, struggling with some pain, kidney stone, and I got agony, and I've been laying in bed and just so much pain, and my wife will walk in, and she'll pray for me, she'll cry with me, she'll ask if I need anything, and I will snap at her like, don't touch me, you know, I'm the worst, My wife came in to me the other day and said something that uh, we say often in our marriage, but it meant something different to me. My wife struggled with pain and suffering, and there's many times that I've said this and I've meant it, but she said it to me the other day. She said, Aaron, I I wish for a minute I could take your pain for you. I'll bear all of it so you could just have a moment of relief. I knew she couldn't but she meant it she would have done it that's covenant language that's I'll take the crap end for the sake of the whole I'll submit I'll die all it's it's going the opposite direction of every other marriage that's falling apart It's humbling ourselves. It's dying to self. It's modeling our relationships after Christ and not after this world. I'm gonna read you this text and then we're gonna take communion. And this broadens back out for a minute, but I'm just gonna read it. But it says this, Philippians 2, and we're gonna take communion after this. Therefore, have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others over yourself. That's covenant language. Not looking for your own interests, but for the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, church, marriages, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here's, here's the mindset of Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, some translation saying being equal with God. This is not an equality thing. This is not about Equality. He was equal with God. He is God. He's fully God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. But rather, he made himself nothing to take on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, here's the circle, he came humbled himself all the way to the point of death. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess and acknowledge that he is the Lord to the glory of the Father. Listen to this. You see this downward momentum start to happen. The way you move a circle is by the same direction, this downward momentum. It's not about who's at the top or hit at the bottom. It's about this movement of the spirit that takes place as the people of God humble themselves and submit to one another. Church, I just want you to hear this to you married couples today. Your biggest issue in your marriage It's not that he doesn't get you flowers or that she doesn't clean your house or you don't get to make love enough or that he doesn't make a big enough paycheck. The biggest issue is selfish ambition and pride. That's trying to elevate yourself above the other and trying to build an org chart of who's at the top and who's at the bottom. One trying to oppress, the other trying to rise up. Hear me, you didn't learn that from Jesus. You didn't learn that from Jesus. You learned that from a triangle-shaped, twisted language that's going in the wrong direction. And the only way you will repent is if you stop asking, How do I do that? I'm tired of that. I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, how do I get to 20 years like you guys? And my answer is, Jesus? I I don't know. Jesus did it? Anybody who has a gospel-centered marriage has very little advice. They'll just point you to the one who doesn't. And keep your eyes fixed. Yes, there's practical things to do to humble yourself. But ultimately, you need to see the real example and commune with the one who shows you. Wives, you want to learn how to submit? Don't look at your husband. You'll find every reason not to. Look at your. Look at Jesus. Worship Him. Worship Him. This is not an issue of your worth. This is an issue of worship. Husbands, you want to learn. How to serve and love your wives, look to Jesus and his example of death and 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 sacrifice and ask him, as as Wayne said last week, spend time making space to listen. Have him teach you. That's why when you come to the tables today, there's a couple things. One come and just commune, all married, single, rich, poor, young. Old, whatever, black, white, come to the table. Let's fellowship and covenant with one another. But if there's any ways that we can pray for you, Wayne, myself, any of the leaders here, we'd love to pray for you. So the tables are open. If you need prayer, let us pray with you. But let's make this time space for the spirit to move and a time for us to worship him together. the tables are open.